Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about cooperative businesses. I'm Asa Marshall with Cooperatives First, an organization that promotes cooperative business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. For more information on us and what we do, visit cooperativesfirst.com. If you need resources for starting your own co-op, check out the co-op creator at coopcreator.com. This great resource site has everything you need to get a co-op up and running. For this episode, I spoke to two special guests about cooperative development in First Nations communities. We had a great discussion when they joined me in the Paved Arts Studio in Saskatoon. I hope you enjoy it. Today I'm joined by my colleague Trista Puapasconius and our guest April Roberts Poitras. In this episode we're here to talk about Indigenous cooperative development. So thanks for being here, you guys. Trista is Cooperative's first business development lead. She is from Little Pine First Nation and has an MBA from the Edwards School of Business at the University of Saskatchewan. April is a Nihiao Esqueu, or Cree woman, a registered band member of Sturgeon Lake First Nation. She has worked in areas including agriculture, policy development, cooperative development, child welfare, economic development, and business development. Since graduating with her MBA, she continues to use her education to help First Nations as requested. April is currently the CEO of Sturgeon Lake Developments Limited and facilitates governance and strategic planning with First Nations organizations. So thanks for being here today, April. Welcome. For yourself, April, was just tell us a bit about your background in co-op development specifically and, and some of the co-ops that you've firstly been involved in developing. Um, I started with cooperative development in 2004 and it wasn't by choice because I really didn't know what a co-op was then. But at the time, First Nations Agricultural Council was venturing on a new program, which was creating First Nation cooperatives in Saskatchewan. And they just wanted to see where it was going, but they didn't know of anybody who had the policy experience to work with it. So they brought me on. And I so I started randomly going into communities, introducing an area that I wasn't familiar with, but I soon became familiar with. And my target was to do four every year. And we had our program for three years. So I was successful in that. And I learned as I went along is basically how it happened. So I was open to the idea of the fact that while I was learning and the communities were learning, we were learning from each other. And I had to make a lot of contacts out there um, through academic institutions and businesses and find out more as far as what's the parallel and is there a, a common relationship or goal between First Nation community, economic development and cooperative development. I've been working with them, well, with, with that type of business model anyway since then, and I've discovered a lot. And Trista, if you want to mention any of the sort of co-op development you've been working on since you started with cooperatives first, what kind of projects you've seen starting to, to crop up? My role with cooperatives first is more on the business development. So when a group is interested in creating a co-op, we have a great team that will work together on the projects, and I help more of the business planning, business development phase. Uh, the projects include seniors housing, um, fishing, and agriculture, and there is still a, an interest in retail and consumer co-ops. And any specific, uh, helping with when you kind of starting out, is there any specific sectors you, you it was um, It was all agriculture. All agriculture. Yeah, because it was through the First Nations Ag- um, Agricultural Council. So we did, um, I think they're pretty much workers' cooperatives. The one that's still probably the strongest still, 
and I still get their e-newsletters, is um, Muscadet. The general idea with their cooperative is they are there to feed their community, which is usually what the community, well, the communities I've worked with, that's their overall goal, is to give back to the community and help their community members, whether that's on or off reserve. So there's Muscadet, there's a Chapways, um, Pasqua, Calisys. So why, why do you think that the co-op model ended up being a good fit, especially for that particular sector, um, for those businesses to get started? I think historically, First Nations, well, so I don't know if you know the history of First Nations in Saskatchewan. They've always had a strong background in agriculture. And it's, it, it's, it's not so much the, the key phrase of agriculture itself, but working with the land, um, working with Mother Nature, there's more of a holistic approach. And so given that, and that's been passed on, that's more of an inherent knowledge that's been passed to the generations, it's easier for First Nation communities to, to work with the land and do something with it as opposed to harm it and uh, dig it up for minerals or you know any kind of excavation. And I did find through throughout the years... Well, I had to find out really quickly within 12 months. <laughs> so the first month, the, the first 12 months, I did find out that the co-op model is probably the best fit for a First Nation community because it's about working together towards a common goal. It's a bit more fluid, so it can change if it needs to. And it's something that's created by the people for the people, as opposed to the current policies we have in general society where we wake up one morning and there's a policy there for us. But yeah, it's, it's a community vision is what it comes down to. And it's it starts with a small group of people, but it can expand into something larger. It can take an intergenerational approach. Um, it can change its form over the years, depending on what the climate is in the First Nation community. So I found that that was a better fit than the actual business model, where the structure is very stringent. Um, I currently work right now with the Corporations Act with Sturgeon Lake Developments, and there isn't a lot of breathing room. I still think the co-op model is the best fit communities. Right. And my next question was going to be whether you think uh, setting up co-ops is, is different from other kinds of business models. And it sounds like there are some differences. But when you're starting out, is there is there a different approach to starting co-ops than there is corporations? Well, I think from just from my experience, I came on to the co-op scene, I guess. Co-ops have um, been introduced anyway to First Nation communities even before I came on in 2004. I think it was just that the government was actually funding it and they were interested enough to see if it would work. So at, at that time, the approach that I used was just because we were all new to it. I was new to it. The communities were new to it. It was a learning process. So it was baby steps. It was, I wouldn't say hand-holding, but it was a um, very hands-on approach mm-hmm. so that they were comfortable with the idea that they were actually taking something on their own. They were going to guide this. They were going, this was going to be their baby, and this was going to be their business. And Trista, I know you're new to co-ops as well, starting with cooperatives first, but with a business background. So is that kind of your experience as well? Do you see a difference between co-ops and other businesses? In my experience, I've written business plans or helped entrepreneurs in their initial stages, and they were sole proprietors, and being able to help these people who are taking on large projects themselves and it takes a lot of work and once talking with different business owners or so you know the entrepreneur I've seen a few decide not to go forward or realize how much work it is to start a business 
And with the cooperative businesses that I've been helping or been a part of, it seems that there's more traction because there are people willing to take on bits of the project instead of taking it all as a whole. The process may be a little bit slower, but at least it's not as overwhelming for each individual. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, that strength in numbers approach really is beneficial to each in person involved in the startup phase. Yes. Oh, that's very cool. So, I mean, my next question was going to be, where have you seen the co-op model work well? And of course, you've just given a really good example of in agriculture, it's been an excellent fit. Are there any other examples? Is there a, another sector that has been a really good fit for co-ops? I think the other two areas that I'm familiar with are fisheries and artisan. Mm-hmm. So, so other producer co-ops too, that, yeah. that fits good, yeah. I agree. Um, Those are the main ones that have been working quite well. The housing co-op I haven't really have that much experience with, but in the startup phase, there is quite a number of things to consider. Mm -hmm. And just the groups that have come through the door, it seems to be working well, especially in seniors housing and understanding the health regulations and it needs to be worked as a as a group. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk to you too about sort of business development on First Nation versus off First Nation because I know there's a lot of differences especially when there's land use involved and things like that. Um, what impact does on versus off nation have when you're in the startup phase of, of starting a business? I think if you don't and this is I can only speak from one experience. Okay. Well one specific experience that taught me a lot. Okay. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Because I worked with businesses on reserve um, from them. Is the one I was doing in Ochapways, they wanted to do a workers' cooperative, but because they can't own that First Nation land, they can only rent it off the community. But that also means a BCR, which is put through Indian Affairs, the, mm-hmm. the overarching body so of every First Nation community. A BCR being a band council resolution. Yes. Okay. But yeah, so having that BCR in place... And with politics, depending on when the elections are, I mean, whether it's two to four, they've, every, every band has changed, they all have their own now. Uh, it is anybody's guess if the next group coming in is going to support that same vision or are they going to pull back and pull that agreement? And then so that workers' co-op had that influx for two terms. And I believe because of that influx, they couldn't strengthen their membership to keep them. Um, they had the overarching vision. It was it was really good. I thought it was a really good model. They ended up creating their own business on reserve, which is, uh, I think it's like a harvest co-op. It, they, they used the model, but they incorporated it. So that, that was the, the end result. So the, the co-op, I think, dissolved, and they ended up incorporating as something different. Oh, okay. But they still have the issues now of making sure the BCR is there, it's supported, and it's ongoing. Mm-hmm. So they have to revisit that every turn. So there's a lot less security sort of built in when you have to keep revisiting. Yeah, um, and with so with the current corporation I'm working with, I don't have that. Mm-hmm. I don't have um, the political influence that, well, every corporation should not have the political influence, but that may not be the case. I just choose not to take on that political influence mm-hmm. because I understand the structure. Our shareholders, the First Nation community, so as long as we report to them and we're... Um, we do our due diligence and we're responsible financially, then there's no reason for either us to be audited or the communities to come back to us and ask us a million questions. Mm-hmm. So I, I do that every year. I make sure that everybody receives their reports. And I believe 
a lot of the First Nation communities are starting to do that. Mm-hmm. What kind of concerns do our clients have, do you think, if they're worried about setting up a business on versus off nation? Like, are there some things that get asked a lot or, or issues that they'd have to work through? Um, one issue that came up just recently, emerging co-op, before they actually went through, was taxation and rebates. So for anybody who's unfamiliar with the rebate, it's when the fuel or tobacco is purchased on nation, then the store, the organization can receive a rebate if the consumer is status and has their status card present. The business has been in operation, but they were concerned that if they went through a co-op model, that the provincial legislation would not allow this rebate to happen with the co-op. And because the co-op would be owned by the members of the community and not affiliated with larger federations, and it would be a standalone, that had to be investigated. So that issue came up and we were able to confirm that the rebate would still go on as long as it followed the proper rules of any other structure. Mm-hmm. So do you have any experiences in how co-op development can go wrong? Like any lessons learned from mistakes you've seen made that people could maybe avoid in the future if they're interested in starting a cooperative? Honestly, I think where there's people, you'll have problems. it's it's just the difference in personalities sometimes it's it's community family to family uh it's historical you can have problems with anything to be honest with you Mm -hmm. it's just learning how to mitigate those risks and i think with one community i worked with when i started working with them to develop their cooperative and get their bylaws together and give them a general understanding of what their responsibilities are, what would be expected of them, the stuff that they have to be in accordance with when it comes to the Cooperatives Act and, you know, just giving them the general overview. I didn't know at the time that they were a church group. (laughs) And apparently that's, uh, the community itself was a bit divided when it came to traditional and the church. So that was one of their conflicts. Again, it just it could be anything mm-hmm. that you know will will divide them. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I think their co-op only lasted the year. Oh, okay, so it's really kind of careful investigation on a case by case basis as to you know what are the well, yeah, and I issues didn't, that might arise. I was in a position to say, well, what's your dominion? No. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it shouldn't mm-hmm. have. In, in my eyes, it, it shouldn't have mattered mm-hmm. because their their overarching vision for their cooperative was to do this huge market garden so they could start feeding not only their community, but they they could, the youth could sell it mm-hmm. so they could start doing their own recreational stuff on reserve. So it was it was a great vision, I thought. But again, it, it came down to family politics and beliefs is what got in the way. So that's why I, I don't mean to be rude. It's just where there's people, there will be problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't foresee every situation that's yeah. going to come up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Interesting to watch. Yeah, for sure. In your time developing co-ops, any best practices that you found? I mean, obviously, each case, every uh, situation is different, but did you find any advice that you feel like it holds up in, in most situations? I think there's a lot of things somebody can do, and it's not just co-ops. It, I think it's just it should be just a general rule of working with First Nation communities mm-hmm. is get a good understanding of who you're working with understand 
what their dynamic is, not so much the group you're going to work with, but the dynamic of the community, because that'll set the stage for its success or failure. Um, be prepared for anything. Be mm -hmm. patient. You know, make sure you're willing to guide, because First Nation communities, it hasn't been that long, where we have our own ability to do something. We're, we're still following an authority that tells, dictates everything, right from land to social development, to our membership, to our Elections Act. And just these little pieces, so cooperative development, um, business development, the ability to make our own policies, these are all just little pieces that society has had hundreds of years before us. So when you work with a First Nation community, be understanding of that, that it's gonna be frustrating, I think, for a lot of communities to be able to fathom the idea and wrap their mind around that they can do this that they do have that, that autonomy, they do have that strength in their numbers to do anything that they want to do. So if they do want to create, create this cooperative, it's just find your common goal. Don't don't take them all because you're not going to be able to take them all, but just, just find one, one that works and move with it. Mm -hmm. And that's that was the hardest thing for me to do was when I'd go into communities, okay, well, let's find something. Well, I had a whole list. I'm like, okay, no, we can't do this. I'm not... Indian Affairs. I, can't, <laughs> I cannot take your list and make it happen. <laughs> so it, it, that was the process in itself was sitting down and being able to, okay, so this meeting, we're going to identify it. We're going to break it down. We're going to come back again. And so we just had to keep on nailing at it and making sure that the right people were sitting at the table. So it was elders, it was youth, it was the, the movers in the community and not so much the ones who were just gonna sit there and well, let's see what happens and see if it fails. And we'll see if I you know, become involved. We need the movers and the shakers sitting there. Mm -hmm. So it was um, helping them identify that. Okay, so who's gonna move this forward? Who's my key contact? And that's just how we did it. And it, just, it was just a lot of relationship building. Mm -hmm. So to this day, I mean, I still talk to all the communities I've worked with. I even work with one. Um, I still get invited to their their AGMs. Okay. So mm -hmm. that's really nice. And so I take it there, like there's no timeline for these kinds of things. It's just every community is different. Every community is going to take its own, go through its own process. They'll I move guess. at their pace yeah. of development. I don't know if, if you've heard of the saying, but all communities have, they're all diverse. And not diverse in the fact of their social issues, but diverse in when they started development. So you have Lac LaRange Indian Band that has had a corporation for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. So they're a bit more advanced. They have their policies, they have their programs. Everything's in place. They're pretty much as sovereign as they can be. Um, you have Whitecap. They're pretty strong in their business development. They have all their policies in place, their buildings, and they're still continuing. So you have those levels. And then you have different levels in the South where, or even in the North for that matter, where they're just finally getting a policy for their school. Mm -hmm. And that may not seem like a big thing, but it is a big thing because I've written those policies. And they're, it is something to be proud of when a school can get that mm -hmm. because it means now they can actually determine, okay, so what education are we going to give to our youth? How are we going to empower our youth? And um, even like an Elections Act, uh, some communities don't have Elections Acts yet. So it's, it's every community, when you go into a community, it's best not to 
predetermine what level they're at. But, you know, talk to people and find out, okay, so what's been happening here? What businesses do you have? What has been undertaken in the past couple of years? And usually every community has one person who's been there for 20 years. It's pretty much guaranteed. Like with Sturgeon Lake, we brought in a non-First Nation who's worked with us for 46 years. So he has everything. Like he's known every chief. He's been through every program. So he's actually retiring. But he's our corporate knowledge. Mm -hmm. So he's teaching me or sharing with me everything that's happened. So our historical timeline. So I can share it with the next person who decides to come into Sturgeon Lake and try and create business opportunities. Mm -hmm. So people like that, there's always that key person in the community. And it's just a matter of finding them. You'll usually find them. Mm -hmm. It's pretty easy because they're out there. (laughs) (laughs) Just ask around. Yeah, that's all you have to do. Yeah, yeah. That's, and I, I wanted to ask you too, because you were both founding members of the Indigenous Chamber of Commerce. I guess what was the idea behind that? Why why did you feel that that was something that needed to be created? And, and kind of what are your goals for that organization? Who wants to? Well, I had to step down mm-hmm. because my schedule is not the greatest. <laughs> and I just felt it was unjust if I couldn't give more than, more than I wanted to. But in, in my opinion, though, I've prior to this even being, uh, well, Trista, I think it was Jay who brought it to me? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Jay brought the idea to me, but prior to me even talking to uh, Jason, prior to him uh, bringing that to me, I was was actually working with the city of Prince Albert Mm -hmm. on doing, they were thinking of doing an Indigenous Chamber of Commerce over there. And so when I was sitting at the table with them, and they wanted to see, okay, what did this look like? Um, Who's going to be sitting at the table? What's the purpose? And so they're going through all these ideas and they did that for a year but as with anything else it just it happened it's done it just I I don't think it's going to go anywhere but so right after that was done is when uh, Jason told me about this one and I thought it was just you know it's it needs to happen because there needs to be representation there's a lot of First Nations going into business now whether it's on their own working for corporations or just opening their own corporation and getting somebody else to run it Either way, they're becoming a lot more active and involved in business. A lot more First Nations getting their master's in business, getting that education level. And I think that's, you know, that's great. We have to join the marketplace at some point. And I think it's going to be this generation. It's just a matter of having that voice now. So where can people like, you know, Trista or people like me or people like Jay go? Mm -hmm. And if we're working with corporations or even cooperatives, where can we tell them to go? you know, where the resources are. Mm-hmm. And that was, I thought it was, it, it still is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Well, and just as a member of, of the board, <laughs> what, what or do you hope um, for the organization or for the new chamber? I think using it as a network tool, my main vision for the chamber is to, there are organizations out there wanting to help new and emerging entrepreneurs or corporations and connection like creating these connections with the indigenous market whether or not they're first nations metis or inuit everybody who wants to work together in this chamber can come together meet each other show off their their business it's all about trying to create the connections find the resources uh it's easier to work together than in silos and on a personal note, I would love to have a place to go where I can 
find it easily online to support the local hairdresser or mechanic, carpenter, any local organization, and just to help throughout the entire province. Mm-hmm. And so is it Saskatchewan focused only? Uh, right now it's of Saskatchewan, so okay. it's the Indigenous Chamber of Commerce Saskatchewan. But we've had great resources from the Aboriginal Chamber of Commerce out in Winnipeg who have offered advice and like willing to share their knowledge to help us along and we hope to reach out to them a little bit more and create a partnership if there's anything that can go across Uh, as well as uh, we have a lot of we have some chambers within Saskatchewan that are willing to partner and provide a little bit of mentorship but knowing that we are all separate entities but working together to just increase business awareness in Saskatchewan and promote Saskatchewan businesses. Thank you for joining us. To give us your thoughts on any of the topics we discussed in this episode, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter as at co-ops underscore first. This is the last episode of this season of The Common Share. We'll be back in a few months with season three. We hope you tune in then.